Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. And then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar at the entrance to the tent of meeting. You are to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron the priest are to put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, including the head and the fat, on the wood that is burning on the altar. You are to wash the internal organs and the legs with water, and the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. If the offering is a burnt offering from the flock, from either the sheep or the goats, you are to offer a male without defect. You are to slaughter it at the north side of the altar before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall splash its blood against the sides of the altar. You are to cut it into pieces, and the priests shall arrange them including the head and the fat, on the wood that is burning on the altar. You are to wash the internal organs and the legs with water, and the priest is to bring all of them and burn them on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. If the offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, you are to offer a dove or a young pigeon. The priest shall bring it to the altar, wring off the head, and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He is to remove the crop and the feathers and throw them down east of the altar where the ashes are. He shall tear it open by the wings, not dividing it completely, and then the priest shall burn it on the wood that is burning on the altar. It is a burnt offering a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, enlighten our minds, touch our desires, move our will, so that we might understand and delight in you and be moved for service. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, thank you. I come from Indonesia, and um, it's a country in Southeast Asia that has the largest Muslim population in the world. Now, for the Muslims in Indonesia, there are a couple main festivals, and one of them is the Idul Adha, the feast of their sacrifice. Now, they love this festival, at least the Muslims in Indonesia. They get to be merry and they get to enjoy um, togetherness as they enjoy food together. And if you, if you go to my hometown, Surabaya, during that uh, festival, you might notice two things. First, you might notice the bloodiness of it. You might find animals being slaughtered on the streets. 
and you can even smell blood everywhere in the city. And second, you might notice that during the festival, the city streets that are usually um, full of traffic can be quite empty because many people from the cities often uh, move to the villages right before the festival. Sacrificial animals are expensive, and so they move to nearby villages to purchase animals there um, at cheaper prices. Now, I would imagine that when a Muslim reads this passage, Leviticus 1, those two things are probably the things that they notice at first. The bloody, elaborate procedure and the costliness of the burnt offering. Both of which, I think, the passage also makes very clear. So, first we can see the high cost in the kind of meat that has to be offered. Three different kinds of animals are allowed to be offered as burnt offerings. So, in verse 2, the offered animals must come from the herd, that is, cows, um, or the flock, that is, sheep or goats. And um, you can see in verse 14 that if the worshipper is quite poor, they can offer doves or young pigeons. The point is that these animals have to be raised or bought. They have to cost something. The people can't offer wild animals because, because wild animals offer, uh, cost nothing. These offerings must be costly. And second, meat was a luxury in those times for all except for the very rich. But here God demands only animals. And not just regular animals, but the very best. In verse 3 and 10, only males were to be offered. During those times, male animals were more expensive merely because they were able to impregnate multiple females at the same time. And so people only needed to keep one to two males for a large number of females. But here, only males were allowed to be sacrificed. But not only that, only unblemished males were allowed. This is the most expensive meat. God demands only the wagyu, so to speak. These burnt offerings are very costly. And then there were the elaborate bloody procedures in making these offerings. First, the, uh, the worshiper has to lay their hands on the animal in verse 4. This is so that the animal might be accepted on their behalf to make atonement for them. And then in verse 5 to 6, they have to kill the animal and then skin it and then cut it into pieces. And then lastly, the worshiper needs to wash the feet and the internal organs of the animal in verse 9 and 13 to wash away the dung to make the offering pure. Also, these procedures are not only elaborate and bloody for the worshiper, but also for the priests. In verse 3 to 4, the priests have to first examine the perfectness of the animal and accept the sacrifice. And then after the animal is killed, in verse 5 and 11, the priests have to catch the blood and then splash it on the altar. In verse 7, they have to arrange the altar and put the fire on. In verse 8 and 12, they have to arrange the already cut meat pieces. 
And for the poor, in verse 15 to 17, the priests have to do everything from bringing off the head of the bird, draining the blood, removing the crop, tearing the bird open by the wings without dividing it completely, and then burning it. It sounds like a very difficult job. Imagine accidentally dividing a bird completely as you tear the bird, the bird open by the wings, and then you go, uh, have you got another one? These offerings are not only costly, but also difficult to do, very time-consuming, very elaborate, and very bloody. Now, the question that we might ask is, why? Why do these offerings have to be costly? Well, this is what a Muslim Indonesian would not easily pick up. You see, in Islamic theology, at least in Indonesia, the sacrifices that they do every year are expensive because those will count as their good deeds that will take them to paradise when they die. In that theology, when they die, their good deeds and their bad deeds will be weighed. Next slide, please. Next slide. Yep. And so if, if the good, during that weighing, if the good outweighs the bad, they will be saved. So the costly sacrifices that they have to do every year will contribute to the overall obedience to the good deeds will, um, which will hopefully outweigh the bad. And the more costly the animals that they sacrifice, the heavier the good deeds become. Their offerings are costly because they need to win Allah's favor with their sacrifices. This is starkly different to what the Bible shows, at least in this passage, and also what, the, uh, what Christianity believes. So why do these sacrifices have to be costly? I think this is where context matters. The book of Leviticus starts with God and his people not being able to live together. At the end of Exodus, if you turn the page back to the previous book, it says, it's on the screen, by the way. Um, it says on, in Exodus 40, Moses could not enter the, the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And as verse 1 in our passage says, God had to speak from the tabernacle to Moses because there was no way for God and his people to meet in the tabernacle. The holy God cannot live with the sinful people. But out of his graciousness, God provides a way for his anger to be appeased and for the, peop uh, for the, the people's sins to be paid for through transferring their sins to these animals when they lay their hands to these animals, uh, on these animals to be sacrificed. The animals somehow atoned for the sins of the people. And so in chapter 9, when these sacrifices are offered at the first time, 
Moses and Aaron, as the representatives of the people, can finally enter the presence of God. God can dwell with his people. But what is the price of dwelling with God? Here in our passage, the price is the most expensive animals sacrificed in the most elaborate procedures. While the Muslims would say that their sacrifices have to be costly because they want to reach paradise, here in the Bible, the sacrifices are costly because that's what it takes for God to dwell with his people on earth. Here's one problem that you might have noticed. Although all these animals are costly from the perspective of the Israelites, in reality, they're worth nothing compared to the infinite worth of God. They can't really pay for the offense that God's holy honor, infinite holy honor, has to suffer because of their sin. That would be like insulting King Charles on, the, on his face and spitting on him, and then to say afterwards, oops, sorry, here, take this lamb kebab. <laughs> Offensive, right? And so here we see that the God whose honor we have offended and who is infinitely worthy is also the God who's so gracious. God is so gracious that he's willing to overlook the relatively cheap sacrifice that's not worth his glory and accept the offender back into his arms. Even in the Old Testament, we see God's immense graciousness. If you think about it, God is so gracious that it's he who initiates the reconciliation. He's the one who called Moses in verse 1 in the first place. God is the one who opens the way. God's graciousness is also pictured in the way that he provides different ways for people with different socioeconomic status to come to him. And so it's like this. God is the one offended, but he's the one giving them the means for reconciliation that involves relatively cheap costs that are not worth his infinite glory. God is so gracious. But still, God's infinite worth that is offended by sins can't be appeased by animals, even though these animals are very, very costly to the um, to the Israelites. So how do we reconcile God's infinite worth that makes him angry at sin and God's gracious mercy that makes him willing to overlook sin? Well, the answer is Jesus. And this is where I think the beauty of our God shines the brightest. In Hebrews 7, Jesus is the priest that does everything required on our behalf and on God's behalf. Jesus is the true priest who is prepared to do all the bloody and elaborate procedures for God to live with his people on his own body. This is where God showed his abounding grace when he provided for us the ultimate sacrifice, the only one that is worth God's infinite 
glory, his only son. Jesus is the true sacrifice. As first Peter says, we are not redeemed with perishable things, but with the blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. On the cross, God's wrath because of his infinite worth and God's gracious mercy meet. And because of Jesus' resurrection, we will dwell with God through eternity, enjoying his righteousness, his life, his love, his grace forever. So in reading about these sacrifices, it might seem like God is asking the Israelites, how much would you pay to live with me? But in reality, if we were to ask God, how much would you pay to live with us? He would say, this much, and point at the cross. I think this is the difference between our God and the gods of other religions. And this is the greatest thing that we can offer to our Muslim friends. Because the Muslim's deeds are weighed, they could never reach assurance. How much is enough? If you ask Indonesian Muslims, and I have, if they know whether they'll be saved when they die, they will say, Inshallah, if Allah is willing. Here in our passage and in the rest of the Bible, we see how much our God is willing. Willing to save us, to dwell with us. And in Jesus, he pursued us to death even death on the cross. He paid for the infinite cost that it took for us to dwell with him. He pursued us and tabernacled among us in Jesus at the infinite in expense that only he could pay. A couple of years ago, I was chatting with a Muslim friend back in Indonesia. We were comparing our faiths. Perhaps this, is, uh, this, can be, uh, this can only be done in countries like Indonesia, where um, being religious is actually an open thing. And we were even comparing the Jesus Christ of the Bible and the Isa al-Masih of the Quran. And I said, you know what the greatest difference is between Christianity and Islam? And Islam? In Christianity, we know that no matter how much we pay for our sacrifices and, or, or how many good deeds we do, we will never reach the perfection of God. However high a person can jump, they will never reach the sun. But God desires us so much that he came down here in the person of Jesus to dwell with us. And she said, wow, I had never heard of that. Friends, our God is the God of grace. He's so gracious that he's willing to invite sinners into his arms. And he has paid for the total infinite cost for us to live with him. He's gracious. He loves us. And he wants us. This is a peculiar beauty of the gospel 
that we can offer to the world. And not only to the Muslim overseas or the people in Southeast Asian countries, but even to our Muslim neighbors here in this city. And even to our non-Muslim friends as well. The world is hungry and thirsty for acceptance and for love everywhere, not only in Asia. They crave that acceptance and love. The good news is that our God is the God who offers his warm embrace and even himself in Jesus so that we can live with him. Let's share this beauty of his embrace with the world around us. Let's pray. God of grace, you have shown us that you desire to live with us way more than we often desire to live with you. That you've paid the infinite cost to bridge the infinite gap between us and you so that we might live with you and enjoy your infinite worth. Thank you for giving us, Jesus, the true tabernacle, the true high priest, and the true offering. Help us through your spirit to present our whole lives as a living sacrifice in union with Christ. In Jesus, our high priest, we pray. Amen. Amen.